I'm going to try to do my best just to read and then come back to the and talk to about the text later. If you come here, you know that's not easy for me. I get a little excited about the text. Amen. Yeah. But here is, let's begin in the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke telling us this is after the Last Supper. This is after that, that time together in the upper room. and they, they had sung together, and now they have gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And here's verse 39 of Luke 22. And he came out, this is Jesus, and he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, and here's where I would love you to lean in even closer, try to feel this. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is aware he is about to drink of a cup. The cup is a metaphor all throughout the scriptures, and here it speaks of the experience of his suffering he was about to endure. The magnitude of it, uh, probably the, a magnitude that we could not accurately describe. Not simply a physical agony, but a, an emotional and a psychological, uh, a spiritual agony. Uh, things that uh, are even in the, even a mystical, yeah, a mystical agony that is probably far beyond our comprehension. But somehow Jesus is aware. So, and let's, I'm just gonna let's weave this in here that that Jesus, being God the Son, coming from the Father, they, this is God's plan, so He knows what's coming. Furthermore, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now he understands what's coming. And being a citizen of first century Palestine, he knows what's coming. He's been telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen to him. And yet he says, if, it's, if, if you are willing, remove this cup, but yet not my will, but yours be done. It is, it is beautiful and necessary for us to see that in Genesis, men, men we, the fall of man is due to the will of man. Adam chose to disobey, to, to, to violate the will of God. Adam chose that. Eve was deceived. Adam chose. He exercised his will to reject the will of God. And it brought about the fall of man. But now we, are, we find ourselves in a new garden with the second Adam. And this Jesus, this Son of God, he says what? Not my will, but yours. The fall of man was brought about because of man's will. And it took an exercise of man's will to bring about the redemption of man. Jesus here redeems us by choosing the will of God. And then verse 44. Well, verse 43. 
I think folks skip this, and I'm here to tell you, I looked at 40, 40, verse 43 again today and said, you know, Lord, I don't know that I remember reading that very often. It's like when Kim said the other day, how come there's stuff they don't talk about? Verse 43, and now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, helping him to pray. Well, that's beautiful and encouraging. Here's verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Luke describes Jesus peering into what was coming. And being in agony, everybody say agony. agony. This is not, this, there's, there was not yet, this is important for us tonight, there was not yet any physical torment being imposed upon him. No one was striking him, whipping him, nailing him. No, nothing was happening, but he was, he was all, he, he had by his own will, entered into an intercessory state where he is in agony. I, I agree with many early spiritualists and theologians who believe that what Jesus was en- that Jesus entered into the, the inner part of humanity's pain. That Jesus enters into, that he in this moment, he he steps inside our, the agony that is not a result of our, there's not a break in our skin, but the pain is real. The agony of heartache and rejection and anxiety and fear and all of the angst that happens in our soul, Jesus steps inside the pained soul of man in that moment and empathizes. He becomes, he, and, and empathizes with him, steps into that moment as you and bears up that agony to the point he prays so fervently that, that the capillaries in his, in his skin burst and he begins to sweat blood. Even before the cross, Jesus entered into our pain and into our most dark and distressing moments. He looked upon them and grieved so deeply that he shed his blood through his pores. Before he was beaten, he mourned in our place so profoundly that he bled for our mourning. Then it continued. Now, the gospel writers will tell us that after that time, he's arrested and they'll go through some of the aspects of Jesus' uh, unlawful arrest and the betrayal, the fleeing of his disciples, various things. It's a longer story were, were we to read all of it. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus comes before Pilate. There's the... The, 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 the interchange, the, dia- the dialogue b- between them. P- 
Pilate offers to release Jesus and the crowd calls for Barabbas instead. You ever wonder what it must have felt like to be someone who was guilty and deserving punishment, but someone took your place? And then we pick up John chapter 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and made a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Then Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the robe, pardon me, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. There are many that argue that that was more than just um, a formal reintroduction of Jesus. There are many that argue that Pilate perhaps found it necessary because by this point, Jesus is beaten beyond recognition. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So then he handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. 
I must pause. The Luke, we're not told why he did that. We 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 could say, well, those were we have you have Semitic and then Roman Roman root and then the Greek speaking from Alexander the Great would be the language of commerce. Those would be the those would those languages would make sense. Finish the sentence. If you wanted to make sure anyone and everyone could read it. <laughs> Pilate unwillingly or unwittingly becomes the first gospel writer. <laughs> he writes to the whole world. Here he is. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. That is a, a fulfillment of, of prophetic imagery from Psalm 22, but it's also cool if you want to kind of just go, oh my goodness, it's all about him. It's always been about him. It's always been about him. You need to go, hey, wait a minute. The tabernacle was woven in one piece. It was seamless. It's always been about him. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it and decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures. They divided my outer garments, and among them for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, verse 18. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, well, look at that. It's very much an appropriate thing on Good Friday for Jesus to identify disciples that he loves. The disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there, so they brought a sponge of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Hyssop. Hyssop was the branch used to dip into the blood when it was uh, came from the lamb or from the bull. And when they would gather uh, the, that blood for the atonement purposes or even on, at the Passover, hyssop was used to dip into the blood and to make application of the blood or to sprinkle the blood. That's why David says in, 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 uh, in, Psalm, in the Psalms, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. He means, apply the blood to me. And here again, they bring him the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Maybe you would all like to say that out loud with me. It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. 
John continues. Then, then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus, who had been first to come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. That's important when we explore, as we have, how Jesus got himself out of grave clothes and a hundred pounds of aloe and spices. It's also important for us to remember that the women who followed Jesus although it's, it, it appears to be relatively known by them that this rich man had given this great gift, this great uh, tribute to, to the body of Jesus, that they still came later with their own. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Scripturally, that's where the story of Good Friday must, must stop. We, we know what's coming. But it's important for us to pause. We pause this night and we remember. It's important that we remember that we consider just how powerful and perfect the price of the cross is. So that we will have hope. So that we will have confidence that our sin is paid for and that the power and penalty of sin is broken and that we will have this confidence this story this the incarnation of jesus the celebration of of christmas and the life of jesus all are fantastic the incarnation of jesus reminds us that jesus uh, that he came and that he, he that god became man that he felt what you felt he felt cold he felt hungry he felt tired he he experienced he empathizes with the entirety of your humanity that's immeasurably important but tonight we see that jesus enters into the greatest pain of humanity that he steps inside our brokenness our torment our rejection we what we read in the gospels the gospel writers don't even give us all the details they give us enough 
But they don't, they don't spend great energy detailing all the aspects of the crucifixion. Not because they didn't think it was important, but because for at least two reasons. First of all, most of it was common knowledge. People knew what was involved with crucifixion. Secondly, it, it was grotesque. It was the stuff that you don't talk about. It was that painful, that horrible, that excruciating. But Jesus entered into the most excruciating part of our humanity, and he did so on purpose. No one, no one took his life from him. He laid it down. He, it's, it's vital that we understand Jesus willingly, lovingly entered into your pain. But it wasn't just it wasn't just the physical punishment, but it, we would be remiss if we didn't pause and remember that the physical punishment was extreme. Yes, G- Jesus is betrayed. He is abandoned by his closest friends. Then the gospel writers tell us that he is just routinely uh, in, insulted and beaten and slapped and spat upon. That the beard from his face is is torn from him as they're slapping him and spitting him. That Mark's gospel, I believe, tells us that when they placed the crown of thorns upon him, uh, that this was this would have been a this wasn't just a prickly bush. These would have been large thorns, hard thorns, and they would have not only they didn't just place it on his head. Mark tells us that they placed that thing on his head and then took staffs and beat him over the head and Mark's gospel says again and again then we're told that Jesus that all it says is and Pilate had him scourged we know from history we know from research from archaeology and from other things, what that means, that means that there was this whip, we call it a cat of nine tails, nine straps of leather, each piece of leather laced with hard rock or chips of bone. With, and with each contact, each harsh contact, those straps of leather would wrap around the, the body of Jesus, and when they pulled it back, it would tear the flesh from his body. Oftentimes we talk about Jesus getting 39 lashes. We read that in the Old Testament that that was the law, that you could not beat someone more than 39 times. To be on that was blasphemy, it was sacrilege, it was, it was thought to be excessive, all those things. But was it a Jewish man beating Jesus? No, it was a Roman soldier. They stopped beating a prisoner usually for only one of two reasons. They themselves were exhausted or the prisoner was dead. Then the cross. The cross was an instrument I would I designed by man. Man has the capacity for whew, limitless cruelty, and yet I have to believe that man is often aided by darker spirits and powers. Aided, aided. The cross is designed for excruciating pain. 
the root of excruciate is crucify. The cross was also designed for total indignity. It was designed not only to be immeasurably painful, but to be ultimately shameful. It was designed so that the person hanging on the cross would in every appearance and every consideration that would no longer be considered human. That's why the scriptures say he, he, he endured the cross despising its shame. Then on the cross... One of several things would happen. The victim would slowly often bleed to death. It was designed to do that. But they would also die of slow, painful asphyxiation. As their cramping muscles, torn to shreds, tried to gasp for breath by bracing themselves against the nails. In short, crucifixion was a long, slow death by pain. From what I understand, from what history tells us, is that I don't know that, I don't know, I won't say this is fact, but I don't know that we have any record, or if at least not many record, that scourging and crucifixion ever occurred together. But it wasn't just the physical pain. It was in this physical act that Christ accomplished something very spiritual. It was in this physical act. Would you say in the act? It was in that physical act that Jesus accomplishes something spiritual on our behalf. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Isaiah 53, that, that which, to which Peter refers, talks about this act, this physical act, but in this physical act, surely our griefs, our griefs, I need to say it again tonight, our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows. Would you say sorrow? I, I don't mean to demean or, or, or dismiss anybody's bad day. There are plenty of Bible verses to deal with your bad day. Plenty of them, right? Everybody has a bad day, a bad moment, a flat tire. There's plenty of good Bible verses to get you through those. I don't think this verse is for your bad day. Sorrow is a whole nother level of bad day. But it's important that the prophet saw that this suffering servant intentionally entered into our grief and our sorrow, our sickness and our pain. Yet the prophet said, we, we, esteem, we, we ourselves esteem, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, for our trespasses, for our, our willful violations of what was lawful. He was crushed for our iniquity. He was crushed for even our proclivity to break the law. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. The punishment that, brought, that brings us peace fell upon him. And by his scourging, somebody say it again, by his scourging, Pilate had him scourged. By his, by his scourging, we are healed. Scriptures don't make a, a massive physical deal about it. 
but they tell us it's just factual. So I, I'm not asking you to imagine horror, but I'm asking you to understand that, that what that Jesus intentionally gave even his, his inner person in agony and his, his, his outer person, his, the, his body itself, to be torn to shreds in order to redeem and bring wholeness and healing and help to all of you. I don't mean all of you just individually, but all of your person. All of you. He loves. We are not platonic, weird, Greek goofballs who think that only the self, only the inner self, only the soul has value. No, God breathed. He created every cell in your body, and he has redeemed every cell to himself. And your soul, your mind, your the the. The, he wa- even your emotional state has been paid for. Second Corinthians chapter two, and, pardon me, chapter five and verse fourteen. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He traded everything. And then on that cross, he becomes our sin. Wow. He entered it. He became yours. He became it. He took it upon himself. He did, it wasn't just to identify that you were a sinner or to point out that you were a sinner or to prove that you were a sinner. <laughs> he became your sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. I don't think, seeing this passage, it is appropriate for North American evangelicals to repeat the, the, the cliche, well, you know, we're all just sinners saved by grace. We are? I used to be, but he became my sin. I have become the righteousness of God. Mark chapter 15 and verse 34 tells us that the only time that Jesus did not refer to God as Father was on the cross. Instead of calling him Father, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Unfortunately, there are some theologians historically, and there's been a popularity or resurgence in the past that, that want to make, that, want, that somehow want to make the cross a more pleasant experience. I, honestly, I don't understand what they're doing. But they're wanting to somehow make it more pleasant. And they'll say, no, 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 God didn't, he wasn't abandoned. Why did you forsake me? No, God, it doesn't mean that God actually abandoned Christ or, you know, turned away from him or whatever else or separated. We don't need to worry about solving some cosmic problem there. What we must recognize is that Jesus stepping into our place felt that way. He's quoting scripture that later on that same psalm recognizes God really hasn't. God really hasn't. But, it, but the psalmist did acknowledge that he had, he, had, he had been in a moment, in a situation where he felt abandoned and estranged. And now Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He literally now takes on the voice of an, of an abandoned, orphaned planet. 
And he takes on your voice of abandonment. God, where are you? God, don't you care? God, don't you see me? God, where are you? And he takes that voice upon himself so that he can give you his voice that cries out, Abba, Father. The beloved became the fallen so that the fallen could become the beloved again. Finally, among so many things, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that on that cross, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ became a curse so that you would receive, you would become the blessed. There, we must embrace the magnitude of this price. We must see all that He's done. It's gravity, it's wonder, so that with gratitude we can, we can receive it. We can benefit we can say, thank you, Lord, for the cross. The pain and the price of the cross is without measure and without limit. His love is expressed to us without measure and his justice satisfied without limit. Therefore, whosoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We look upon this night, and yes, we understand how seriously God feels and deals towards sin and all of its power and all of its penalty. But far more importantly, we look upon this night and we see what is in the heart of God for you, how God loves you, how God has in Christ reached you, reconciled you, redeemed you, restored you, brought, brought you close through the blood of Jesus. Our ushers, if they're ready, are going to serve you these emblems of communion and we're going to just receive them tonight. But I'm, I'm going to ask that our musicians play instrumentally while they're being served can hum along or think, but I want you just to try to lose yourself in meditation. Consider what Christ has accomplished for you. And my prayer is that tonight we wouldn't leave any of it behind. That we would by faith and appreciation appropriate all of it by the power of the Spirit. Hold on to these emblems as they serve you, please.